I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 190 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prusser, and my co-host, Andrew Frankel. This week, we're talking about cars with fatal flaws, cars that might have been great, were it not for just one or two minor things that, frankly, ruined them. Um, we talk supercars, sports cars, little family cars, hatchbacks, all sorts. New stuff, old stuff. Um, there's some real variety in there. Before we get started, though, this Christmas, why not gift the petrol head in your life a subscription to the intercooler you can choose from 6 12 and 24 month gift subscriptions they start at just 35 pounds 99 um, you'll be able to download a digital gift voucher immediately and it's really easy to do just head to the intercoolercom and find the gifts page I'll also put a link in the description of this podcast um, and we think it's a great gift the petrol head in your life would surely love a subscription to the intercooler. So thank you for doing that and let's get on with this week's episode. I think with this topic it's almost inevitable that we're going to wind some people up aren't we? Well, um, well I was about to say I hope so. I, uh, well, <laughs> I only hope so insofar as if no one gets at all wound up by this then it's probably not a terribly interesting podcast. Well, that's a good point, that's a good point. I mean we're not, I don't think we're setting out to upset people but you're right if we, this is one of those topics it's only interesting if we have fairly robust opinions, isn't it? So I think that's what we're going to try and do. Um, I've got a list of cars here. I'm sure you've got a list of cars as well. Yeah, no, um, can, can, can we sort of establish the ground? Because this isn't cars that are cars we don't like very much. No. Um, it's not like, so, or, or, and, and it's not entire, I mean, we talk about cars with fatal flaws. We're not saying, well, all SUVs because they're heavy or all electric cars because they don't have much range. It's cars mm. with specific, specific. failings. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm hoping that many or most of them will be cars that, you know, so of course a lot of them we might quite like, hmm. um, despite hmm. the fact that they've got, you know, they've been hobbled by a characteristic of some description, um, which really lets them down. Yeah, it's it's cars that might actually be great were it not for one maybe two things that yeah could have been get in the way. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, well, I'm going to get us started, and I, I feel sorry for this car, this particular car, because every time this topic or a sort of adjacent topic comes up, this car is nominated. Um, it happens all the time, but I'm going to nominate it anyway. It is the Alfa Romeo 4C. Um, oh, I, I, know that, I know there are lots of people out there who like theirs. They have them and they love them. Fine, that's great. Um, but I view, I view that car is a massive missed opportunity. It could have been fantastic because there's so yeah. much right about it. Carbon tub, um, at, you know, a carbon fiber tub in a, what was it, 50 something grand car when it was new? Maybe a little bit more? Really light. Yeah. Yeah, really light. Um, it doesn't exactly have a, you know, a silken cultured engine. It's a 1.8 turbo four, but it's a really boosty engine and in a light car, yeah. it feels rapid, really rapid. Yeah. Um, 
Love the looks, baby Ferrari styling. I like the Spartan interior. I mean, it, the thing looks fantastic on the move. You know, I, I came very close to buying one. Did you? Yeah. Uh, when, when I can't remember how long ago it was, but when they first showed it at the Mojo, I was so oh. completely knocked out by it. Yeah. Um, that I spoke to someone I knew on the stand and said, I really want one of these. Um, I'm Blimey. not committing to it now, but it was absolutely my intention. Um, and then I was on another stand. I think I was on the Ford stand speaking to, you know, the mate of mine who works there. And he said, I hear you're buying a 4C. <laughs> the amount of time it had taken me to walk from Alfa Romeo to Ford, the news had got out. And I just thought, well, you know, these things are not for, particularly when decisions haven't been made, are not for public consumption. And I didn't appreciate, you know, someone going, wow. oh, Frank, buying a 4C. So I just thought, well, sod them. And I didn't. And then I drove it and was glad I hadn't. Oh, gosh, I bet you were. Yeah, I bet you were. God, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that story before. That is amazing yeah. that that rumour would spread like that, like a yeah. virus. Yeah, yeah. It's not good enough, is it? No, so, not really. The issue then with the 4C and... It, it's the handling, really, or probably the steering, more specifically. And it might even be particular to the UK's bumpy roads. No, it wasn't, because I drove it, in, I drove it in America. I drove it in Italy. Yeah. I, I went on the launch, mm. and it wasn't. Oh. It, it wouldn't go in a straight line in Italy. That's the issue, isn't it? It doesn't steer. And I've driven a few of them, and they were all the same. And we had later cars sent to us. Um, with a promise that it had been fixed. Here you go. This one's going to be much better, and maybe a minor improvement. Um, but the trouble is, the thing would just meander and tramline across the width of the road. It would just tug and pull all over the place. And so, even when you're trying to put it into a corner, and it's tugging and pulling across, you never the knew road, where you were with it. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You didn't know what's going to happen. Um, so it was. There were, a, some, there were some people who got cars in the UK. Um, for press drives and they were all transported down and we're told that the reason um, the car didn't handle properly was the bloke who'd stuck it on the trailer tied down the ratchet straps too tightly and knocked out the geometry mm. I mean com I mean goodness sake come on <laughs> I mean the, the great sadness of this and I, I, I've got there's something in my head saying that we've mentioned this before but hopefully it was a couple of years ago so people won't remember but I'm sure I've had a conversation with you, either on this podcast or not, where we just said, if they'd just taken it to Lotus, mm. given it to someone like Gavin Kershaw, and said, Gav, just drive it for a day, a day, mm. and tell us what you think. That, that car could have had such a different story behind it. Mm. Mm. Because he would have said, I'm sure, guys, you are joking. Mm. Can't set it up like this. Mm, it's not ready. He would have done. Ready. He would have done. And I suspect because the problem was so obvious and so fundamental, I, I don't understand why they didn't see it. Or mm. my fear is that they did and thought it wouldn't matter. Mm. But I suspect, okay, you might not have been able to get it to handle like an Elise without a great deal of, you know, nickel and diming and refining work. But I suspect someone like Gav Kershaw could have made it massively better in a very short period of time. But just, you know, doing what he does. Mm. So a little while ago, David Tuig wrote a story about the Alfa Romeo 4C, sharing his point of view on that car and why he thought it turned out the way he did. Now, for those who don't know, David Tuig, he's one of our contributors. He is an engineer um, and he led the development team behind the Alpine A110. And that's significant because they benchmarked the Alfa Romeo 4C. So yeah. he, he knows that car inside out more than um, you know, a typical journalist will, because he's poured over it, he's weighed it, he's measured everything, he's taken taken the 4C apart, all sorts. Um, and so he, his is a very informed view. And in this story that he wrote for us, it's available still on the Intercool Apple website, it's called Bum Steer, if you want to go and find it. I will put a link in the description as well. Um, and it's it's very insightful. But I just wanted to pick out this one paragraph, which perhaps reveals why the car turned out the way it did. Now, again, this is just his opinion. He doesn't know for certain, um, but it's an educated opinion, isn't it? He said, I am convinced the engineers made an early decision to go unassisted with the steering. It doesn't yeah. have power steering, but were then unable to keep the vehicle mass under control. The giveaway is the front kingpin, 
kingpin or steering axis inclination. It's close to zero, almost no caster angle at all. Caster Which angle is why it doesn't go in a straight line. Yeah. Caster angle yeah. is best understood by looking at the angle of a bicycle's headstock. If it's steep, like on a road racing bike, the steering tends to be flighty. If it's laid back, like that crazy chopper in the movie Easy Rider, it will be stable but lazy. That of the 4C is so unusually upright, you can actually see it with the naked eye. You don't need fancy geometry measuring equipment. So he thinks it comes down to caster. Now, as you say, if you've got no caster at all, you're going to have very low steering effort, but a very flighty, agitated feel on the road. Yeah. If you have lots and lots of caster, you've got very high steering effort, but massive stability in a straight line. So yeah, and also great self-centering when you're coming off yeah. locks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And with power steering, it middle. doesn't matter what the steering effort is. Mm, exactly. So this car has no power steering, and the weight got away from it. So originally it was going to be something like an 800-kilogram car. Um, but this is David's theory. As the car sort of moved through its gestation, it got heavier and heavier. Perhaps there were budgetary issues um, and heavier, cheaper materials had to be used here and there. Perhaps they ran out of time. Perhaps marketing got hold of it. Whatever happened, the car turned out heavier than it should have been. He's weighed them. And apparently they are much closer to 1,000 kilograms than 800. And mm. so you've got maybe... 15, 10, 15, 20% more weight than imagined. Hence, the steering becomes outrageously heavy at low speeds, maneuvering. You need to get rid of the caster angle entirely just so that the steering effort is bearable in normal driving. And that's how you get that very flighty, hyperactive, agitated steering that means it's just all over the place on the road. But it's so fundamental isn't it i mean it strikes mm. me as being a pretty extraordinary mistake to make mm. um you know they must have seen that coming they must have known yeah. that i mean all things end up being more heavier than you know their engineers would initially like them to be I and mean, what would a i don't know i mean david would know much better than me but i don't know what a power steering pump would have added to the weight of the car not much but probably a you know a few kilos mm. So there was. It would under, still have been a, by almost all other standards, a yeah. fantastically lightweight car. Even by A110 standards, it would have been a mm. fantastically light car. Mm. And again, its story could have been so. They just made the wrong decision, didn't they? They did. They did. And actually, there's a very interesting comment from one of our readers underneath that article. He said he had one. I had power steering retrofitted into mine, and it was genuinely transformational. That said, it was also £6,000. It's not a cheap upgrade. He said, I spent so much dough trying to get mine right. And it was about right, I guess, at the end of the day. But by then, I'd had enough of it, so off it went to auction. Yeah, but, okay, you can put power steering onto it. That's fine. Well, you, can't, you can't change the, the gearing of the rack. You can't change the caster angle. Mm. You can't... The problem was... Not the fact that it didn't have power steering. The problem was that the car was too heavy for a car without power steering. So mm. putting power steering on it is addressing one symptom, but all that's going to do is make your steering lighter. It won't, mm. you know, unless you change the caster angle, it won't go in a straight line any better. You won't get any more self-centering out of it. Mm. So, you know. Ugh. It's a bit of a patch, isn't it? It's not a real solution. Yeah, and it, um, only, and it, and it, and it only solves one of a, you know, a multitude of problems. Anyway, that's right. Pitty. So there's an interesting one, yeah. But that is a, a great example of a car with a fatal flaw because it could have been fantastic. That thing, it could have been fantastic, but some um, decisions were made, maybe at the beginning, maybe along the way, and it just didn't happen. Mm. Shame. Can I, can I do another two-seat sports car? Go on. Honda S2000. Mm. Yeah. What was the I mean, floor? there are, you know, there, there, there's more than one problem with the S2000, but I'm, ju I'm just going to talk about the engine. And, and, and it just interests me because um, I'm a great believer in that principles are not indefinitely extendable. Yeah. And you and I know how great yeah. the VTEC engines are um, and how certainly, you know, when I was um, or, you know, younger than you are now and Honda was putting out these amazing little hot hatchback engines with 100 horsepower per tonne, which were revving to 8,000. And, you know, we were just having the best time in them. And this is their sort of 
Fonzie jumps the shark moment. This is when they just went too far with it. And mm. so, yeah, this 2000 had a two liter engine with 237 horsepower, I think, which revved to nine and a bit thousand. And when it was doing that, it was unbelievable mm. for the effort you had to go to to get it up to those revs. And if you tried to put your foot down and you weren't absolutely in the sweet spot, which I, mean, I can't remember what peak torque was, but it would have been at about 7,000 RPM, an engine speed at which mm. most other most of its rival engines would have simply have given up and stopped working. It was just getting into its stride. Um, you know, it was a racing car engine, um, but it wasn't in a racing car. And, you know, mm. it fundamentally, we got, I can remember we got so excited about that car when it came out because we were just thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be unbelievable. You know, a two-seat front engine, rear drive, manual Honda with the most highly specified VTEC engine we'd yet seen with a specific output, which I think exceeded anything else in any other car um, that had been mm. produced at that time. And he made McLaren F1 look quite understressed. And then we got in it and we suddenly realized that actually you can go too far with these things. Um, yeah. And they did. And they spoiled. And that's what you mean by a principle. Yeah. That's what you mean by the principle not being indefinitely extendable. It's not exactly. that more revs or a higher specific output is always better. Yeah. There is a limit. Had the S2000 been 200 kilograms lighter, maybe that engine would have suited it a bit better. But that's an enormous amount of weight to take out of an already skinny car, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I still think that a road car that doesn't come on a song until 7,000 revs, whatever it were, it's, it's just... It's not suited to its environment. If you stuck that engine in a race car, you know, with some super, super short and tight ratio so that it was always boiling away, could have been mega. Could have been absolutely mm. mega. But, mm. yeah, it wasn't to be. So I, I didn't have the S2000 on my list, but now that you mentioned it, it falls into another of my categories. Um, and in that category, you do find the S2000, you find the Toyota GI Yaris, you find... The Clio 172, the 182, the 197, the 200. Um, the last Focus what RS. What are you going with this? The first turbocharged Civic Type R. Yeah. Seats that are set too high. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Definitely. I hate it. I hate yeah. it. I hate mm. it. Yeah. <laughs> it just annoys me. Tell you, us what you really think, Dan. <laughs> yeah, you sort of get used to it over you know, the first hour or something. But you never feel as connected to the car as yeah. you would do if you could sit low. And when yeah. I get into a car, particularly a sporty car, um, and I crank the seat all the way down and it just keeps going and it just keeps going, I think, yes, here we go. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and when you don't get to do that, when you're up on stilts and you're constantly reaching for a lever thinking, it must go lower than this, it must do. You maybe you get used to it, but you still feel like you're up on stilts a little bit, like you're towering of, above the car. You're not properly in it and connected to it, and it does actually erode your confidence. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's well, I just don't feel. Yeah, I like to feel in a car, not on a car, mm. um, and I like to feel surrounded by the car. I want to be as close to the road as possible because I think that's where the greatest sense of connection comes from. And it also it, it also makes me think, well, why are these cars like that? Well, with cars like the GR Yaris and the Clears, we know they're just hatchback designs and you know, and mm. being able to have a high driving position is quite important. Uh, but with cars like the S2000, you'd think there they simply shouldn't be an excuse for it. And you make you wonder why, you, why they are that way. Um, and, you know, why... Was it a choice or was it because mm. there's something about the engineering of that car? Uh, maybe there's some module taken over from something else, which meant they did, it just had to be that way. Mm. But in any event, it um, doesn't necessarily ruin that. I mean, you know, one, one of the reasons why I like to be low in the car is I'm quite tall. Um, and, mm. you know, certainly if headroom is an issue, particularly with a car like an S2000 with the roof up, um, then obviously. Um, but no, you're right. It's just. You want to sit. You want to be in the car, don't you? Mm, you do. You really yeah. do. Can I just give you one more? I know I've done a couple there, but I just want to give you one more because it's <clears throat> it's kind of relevant if, if we're talking about the S two thousand and sports cars like it with high revving engines. Mazda RX eight. It's on my list. I love the RX eight. It's the fatal flaw of the engine, though. 
No, completely. Mm. From an ownership proposition, yeah. Um, yeah. A, because of the lack of talk, and B, because of the oil consumption and rose-tip wear. Mm. So did you but forget that that stuff became an issue later on, didn't it? Do you remember when you first drove it? Did you think this engine makes this car better, middle or worse? It's a really interesting question. I guess compared to what? Yeah. Compared to a three liter V six, like you would have gotten a you know, a Z three seventy Nissan. Mm. Probably worse, but I did. I did. I did a couple of twenty-four hour races in them, um, mm. where they were always just fizzing away, and they were, you always had them up at eight grand, and they were mega. They were absolutely mega. But yes, in in normal use, again, you're absolutely right. Just that lack of mid range, get up and go. Um, mm. There are a few cars, aren't there, where you know they've got some you know terrific north sixty time, but actually in reality it's meaningless because a technically slower car with some mid range torque would be gone by the time you found the right gear to get yours to take off properly. And um, and it's mm. it's that it's that immediate usability that these cars lack. And yes, absolutely. But I you know I've got a very very soft spot for those RX eights because I think they're a very clever design, um, one of the most spacious two plus twos, and yet it looks like a two seater. Uh, amazing handling. Yeah. I mean, they handle. I mean, I can remember in those races mm. through the corners, you could sit on the back of you know fully race prep nine elevens with quite a lot of downfall. You just sit in their asses all the way through, and you know they were just such <laughs> fun to drive. Um, but you know, again, you know, it's Mazda being sort of wedded to this principle of the rotary engine that was ultimately its undoing. And then, so yeah, when they were new cars, I just thought they didn't feel fast at all, um, even when you had them screaming. I just they never felt really brisk to me but it's it's now that that rotary engine has become a bigger problem as you mentioned they they're a nightmare aren't they and people you have to get them rebuilt and even yeah. then um they seem to be a bit of a ticking time bomb they use a load of fuel they just seem they just seem like well actually to me they seem that rotary seems like more hassle than it's worth much more yeah anyway anyway do you want to go yeah can I, i'm going to do three okay go on you got to yeah, tell me what that for Tesla Model 3, Ineos Grenadier, yeah. Volvo EX30. They all have exactly the same floor. Is it to do with the screens yes. or displays or something? Yes. Everything well, in a in a touchscreen. It's no, it's they none of them put the information you need in front mm. of you. Okay. Yeah, okay. None of them. They yeah. all take yeah. the most basic stuff. How fast am I going? How much fuel have I got mm. left or range? You have to take, you know, your eyes have to come down and then across to the middle of the car before you can find that out. And it's just nuts. And I think it is mm. symptomatic of, you know, of design departments starting to really crack the whip over their colleagues in engineering. Uh, but to the extent that, and what really annoys me about all these cars is the fix is so simple. Fine, have your big flash center screens with all the stuff on there and, you know, all that nonsense. Just give us a head-up display. It's a little yeah. projector buried in the dash, which you'll never yeah. see. And so we can just see how much fuel we've got and how fast we're going on a screen in front of us without having to... I mean, Volvo, you know, the most safest car manufacturer on earth, think it's absolutely fine to not look where you're going. And the other thing mm. about the Volvo, oh, I'm going to go off on one now, is if you do <laughs> take your eyes off the road to go and look at the screen, there's a little black box looking at your eyes and then you get scolded. It flashes up a message saying, "Put your, you know, you've taken your eyes off the road. Look where you're going. And the only reason you're doing it is because it won't let you see how fast you're going. That's hilarious. It's that is bonkers hilarious. for Volvo. <sighs> yeah. It really, really annoys me. It's so basic. It's so indicative of design just yeah. starting to overwhelm simple, basic engineering due diligence just put the basics it doesn't have to be everything you don't have to know what your vaults are or you know, anything else but the basic stuff that you need all the time just put mm. it where it can be seen while we're on this topic actually we need to talk about there are so many cars that do this and the the sort of most heinous one is the range new range rover and range rover sport they're about to lose their their physical hvac controls they have them currently underneath the big central display, the big screen, but they're about to lose them into the, into the screen um, where 
inevitably they're much harder to find, particularly on the move. Yeah. Um, and the only reason for doing it, well, presumably as far as I can tell, is that it cleans up visually. It cleans up that part of the the car. Brilliant. As if that as if that matters. Who cares? Yeah. Apart but, from some but, designers but, in Gaiden. Yeah, but there, there, there is another reason. It's cheaper. Cost. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, I mean, buttons. A... I remember David Tuig saying that if you wanted to add a button to the dash of a car, it's about a three-year program. You can't just do it at a model year update. These things, because they are so difficult and mm. time-consuming and expensive to homologate, how much better, how much cheaper, just not to have them? Yeah, and make it and and make it look like oh look we decided to go for this. I mean the the Volvo the EX30. I think it's got two might have three buttons, one for each window. Mm. But it doesn't need those buttons. They don't even do the rear windows. That's what the third button is for. You press the third button and then the the buttons which had done the front windows now do the rear windows. Mm. Everything mm. else, you know, if you want to, let's say you drive into a wall of fog on the M4. In a, this is a Volvo, okay? You can't just go and switch your fog lights on. You've got to go into find and know exactly where to find them in whichever sub-menu on the centre display, taking your eyes off the road while you're doing it to put your fog lights on in your Volvo. I mean, how in bonkers fog. is that? That is outrageous. All this stuff I really do think, I mean, makes and, these and, cars you know, Don't worse. get me wrong, the EX30 is a for you know a small electric car i think it is you know in in almost all other ways it's absolutely outstanding i wouldn't have one there's no way in the world i would have one of those mm. and for that reason alone i'm out blimey yeah it's so frustrating it's so frustrating it's like they've forgotten that we have to drive these cars yes we don't just sit in them you just see people at oh. yet. yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh good this is fun Hi everyone, Dan here. Now we'll get back to cars with fatal flaws in a moment, but first I want to talk to you about VPNs. Many of us know what it's like to have our details or passwords stolen while we're online. VPNs or virtual private networks protect you from that. If you travel a lot with work and find yourself logging onto hotel or airport Wi-Fi networks, you could be at risk of this happening to you. We've partnered with NordVPN to offer our listeners four months free when you buy a two year plan. And you can get a fifth month free by using our exclusive link, nordvpn.com forward slash intercooler. Or you can click the link in the description of this podcast. That's five extra months completely free. How many of us use the same password for everything, maybe with one or two subtle differences? Yeah, I know. That means we're playing with fire, but a VPN can protect us from hackers and scammers. NordVPN offers a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can try it for yourself risk-free. Head to nordvpn.com forward slash intercooler to get five months free of charge. That's nordvpn.com forward slash intercooler or click the link in the description. Right, let's get back to cars with fatal flaws. Another one. Porsche Cayman GT4. Bloody hell. Come on, you know what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, hang on, hang on. Porsche Cayman GT4. A, a fatal flaw in the Porsche Cayman GT4. You're talking about the current one. Uh, I'm actually thinking about the previous one, but it does apply to the current one to some degree. Probably, maybe the same degree, actually. It's the only thing, the only way you can criticise those two cars. And Fatal Floor might be pushing it, but you know what I mean. I'm just trying to work out what you're, ta you're talking about. You're talking about the gear ratios? You're talking about the engine? Yes. You... Gearing. So yeah. long. Actually, it, it's, it's ridiculous. The, the, the issue that I have with the gearing on those cars is that Second will take you well beyond 60, probably well beyond 70, actually. And so yeah. on a UK B road, when the, where the limit is 60 miles an hour, if you want to, if you get into second Which gear and you want to run the engine out, times. yeah, of course, if you, if you want to run the engine out in second gear, you're busting the speed limit by quite a lot. And so yeah. it means that second is actually adequate for most. Or you get up to third, which will take you probably beyond 90 miles an hour. And so you're just, you're not using that. It, the gear shift is lovely. The clutch pedal weighting, lovely. But you're just not using them. It's so rare. And if you get up into fourth, you're suddenly well out of the engine sweet spot. It's massively frustrating. And it, whenever I have driven a Cayman GT4, I've been really annoyed by it. Okay. It's interesting. So... I, I do know exactly what you're talking about, and I think the original GT4 was actually far, 
the worst affected. And actually, although this is not an engine that I would usually speak up in defense of, one of the assets of the turbo four-cylinder engines mm. that go into less Caymans and Boxsters is they have the torque to make better sense of the ratios to mm. which they're attached. Yeah, they do. Um, so, the, so the question is why? Mm. I mean, it's not as if Porsche didn't realize. And I can only imagine, like so many things in the car world today, that there was some emission standard, some fuel consumption figure that they simply had to get. And the only way they could do it was to put really long gears in it because so much of these things are determined by the amount of fuel that the cars use at a certain mm. speed, a certain amount, and the longer the gear, the less it'll use, the lower mm. your CO2, and bang. I, I don't know. I can't think of any other reason because it could be so easily fixed. You wouldn't have to go and design a new gearbox or anything. Mm. Um, you just put a lower final drive in it. Mm. Just drop it all the way down. And then suddenly your problem goes away. But they haven't done that. And I'm sure, well, there must be a reason for it, isn't it? Because it's, it's not as if they don't know. It's not as if, A, they didn't know, or B, they didn't listen to any other people who said this. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do know what you mean. I do. So, do you find the PDK ones easier or less annoying? Would you have a PDK rather than a manual? It's such a good question. I... <clears throat> I actually don't think I would. I think <clears throat> I think for that kind of car, I would rather have a manual and put up with the ratios, but they would bother me. They would bother me all the time. Mm. And I have driven um, a Sharkworks Cayman GT4 with revised ratios, and they hadn't changed the final drive. They'd changed, I think it's third through to fifth or something, so not even all the ratios. And it, it was better, but the frustration, you know, second was still ridiculously long. So there's almost no gap between second and third. Um, so it didn't quite fix the issue for me. Um, but actually, do you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the four-cylinder turbo came in a Boxster, that engine, because that's on my list as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, mean, I, I absolutely get that. Mm. I absolutely get that. It's just, it's not just a poor engine for a Porsche. I think it's just a poor engine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can just tell... I mean, I know a little bit about the background of this engine because I once had a rather quite an honest conversation with the bloke who, or one of the blokes who engineered it. Um, if Porsche were an independent company, were not part of Volkswagen, they would never have done that engine. The pressure was on, was it? The pressure was absolutely on them. Um, and, you know, and, and, and you can almost tell that it's an engine that wasn't done with any great love by Porsche. You can just tell. It, it's, if ever there was an engine that Porsche did, where they just thought it's the sort of contractual obligation engine. Oh, well, mm. we need to do this. We have to do this. We don't have a choice, but you know, um, and it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not without its disadvantages. You know, the torque, as I said, um, does make a bit more sense of those ratios. It also means that in the lower powered cars, um, the torque also enables you to exploit the chassis in a way that those, mm. Um, low torque, naturally aspirated engines didn't, um, but yeah, it just doesn't sound right, and it just doesn't feel right, does it? Do you know what though? I was I was looking at the classifieds, <clears throat> and you can now pick up um, a non S model with the it's a three hundred horsepower engine, so a good amount of power. Um, yeah, I think we're talking sort of two thousand and sixteen, seventeen, so still a modern car, yeah. modern comms. You can have one for 30 grand. And I, I'm beginning to wonder if at 30 grand I could actually put up with the engine. Yeah. I, could, I, th I think that would actually be quite a nice car. I don't but like would, the engine, but... but... Okay. If you had that car, would you, do you think you just get used to it and forget about it and just, you know, it would just cease to matter? Or do you think it would just ever so slightly mm. compromise every journey you did in it? Every time mm. you started up, you just think, yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know the answer to that but I, i'd like to yeah. try one again actually i'd like to try one again um mm. go on what else have you Can got do one? yeah yeah another german sporting coupe mm -hmm. audi tt yeah the early ones yeah what was the fatal flaw i then? mean i just find it surprising that a company like audi could put a car into production which quite clearly wasn't stable. Oh, really early ones? Yeah. Mm. 
I just find it amazing. Mm. You know, there were, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, say too much, but, but what we do know is that there were a sufficient number of incidents, some with very serious consequences. You know, I'm sure Addy would say that those incidents weren't down to them, they were down to external factors. But nevertheless, mm. They re-engineered the car. They changed the suspension. They changed the ESP, and they put a wing on the bag. Mm. Now, would you do that just to return confidence, or would you do that because you actually realised that you had somehow put a car into production that wasn't stable? I mean, I have mm. to say, as a kind of counter to that, you know, I drove those cars a lot, and I drove them fast, and I never had a particular problem with them, um, but. Maybe there were certain circumstances uh, in which, mm. yeah, and if you look at the shape of the car, I'm, I'm no aerodynamicist, but, you know, we all know what happens when air starts tumbling down the back of the car if it's not unchecked. It goes underneath the back of the car and it lifts it up, which is why mm. all those fastback cars like 911s um, mm. have all got wings on them. Mm. Um, yeah, some so, sort of de deployable yeah. spoiler, yeah. And late, later TTs yeah. had a, a little de deployable wing to fix that issue. Yeah, and, and that's all you need. You don't need much at all. You mm. just need to interrupt that airflow and stop it getting under the back of the car. It just needs to go elsewhere. You know, you're not using it really um, for downforce purposes. Mm. You're do, doing it to just cancel positive lift. Mm. Yeah, it's a spoiler, um, and, isn't it? Literally. Yeah. It spoils that it airflow. Literally a spoiler. Mm. And maybe again, it was a design department. I mean, yeah, it was an amazing... How old were you when that came out? I think it came out was sort of like 96. You'd have been... 11 yeah, 12 10, 11. 10. <clears throat> yeah. yeah but i remember when it came out and it had that you know we couldn't believe that there was basically a golf underneath all of that mm. because it looked so amazing and the, the interior was so amazing and it was so close to the concept and we just thought wow but it was you know it, it was a fantastic looking car and that little wing on the back did actually spoil the look yeah. of the car but um goodness me it was clearly perceived for what for, for whatever reasons be they marketing or genuine stability to be needed so but you uh, make it's so interesting because the amount of testing that these manufacturers do even 30 odd years ago the amount of development work that they do is enormous so they, yeah. the chassis guys will have known that there was potentially an issue there but maybe maybe they just lost the fight they lost that particular battle first time round because the design was everything to that car. And a little yeah. way, a little spoiler on the back did compromise it. Um, I mean, yeah. What I find so interesting, though, is it didn't kill the car. Mm. The Audi TT went, well, it's still in production. You know, it, it, if you look at something like the original Mercedes A-Class, you know, the infamous yeah. Elk test. Yeah. Okay, so they fixed that really fast. You know, I, had, I brought my children up in the back of one of those. Mm. Um, and... They acted immediately, even though the car only flipped in the most unrealistic circumstances, um, you know, which was, you know, which were recreated on a runway in the most extreme driving scenarios imaginable. Mercedes acted, um, they fixed the problem, and yet that car was, I think, was fatally undermined by that event. Audi in North, you remember the unintended acceleration incident? Mm. Where an Audi, what I don't know what they called it over there, was it a 1000, but it's basically as an Audi 100 or an A6 or something like that, um, disappeared through a garage door. And all the, and, and the owner said, the car just accelerated. I put my foot on the brake and it took off. And all the evidence was, actually, they just trod on the wrong bloody pedal or put it in the wrong gear or something. Yeah. Um, that near enough killed Audi in North America. Blimey. And yet the TT, you know, goes walkabout mm. and it's fine. People go, oh, right, it's, you know, it's fine. Maybe, never stopped them. I just, I, maybe it looked good enough and people still wanted them. Yes, and that's it, isn't it? You know, that Audi and that Mercedes were not inherently sufficiently desirable in their own right mm. um, to save their own bacon. Whereas the Audi was, and people just thought, oh, I just, yeah, you know, I just really want one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if it spins me around on the motorway. Um, anyway, I'm going to give you one more, and you are not going to believe this, nor will you ever guess what fatal flaw I'm proposing on this car. Um, it's oh, the, well, let, let me at least try. 
<laughs> oh no, you will you will not get it. It is the most pathetic nitpicky nitpicky complaint I'll ever make about a car. It's the Sports Series McLaren. So 570s, 600LT, 540C, the Spiders, all of them. Uh, okay. And what area are we looking at? Cabin. Cabin. Is it that little button you had to press to activate all the all the stuff? Nope. Because I really like that. <laughs> You're not going to get um, it. <laughs> Uh, is it the fact that it's got really spidery um, numbers on the instrument? No, it's not that, is it? It's okay. Hang on, just, just, just bear with me. Is it the fact that it's an absolute bastard to get the nose lift to, to, oh, to work because you've got to disappear into some silly submenu? They fixed that now. You just get yeah, a button. That's not it, but that was that was atrocious. Um, I, it's, but it's yeah, that was it. absolutely atrocious. Is it the fact that um, the navigation system was <laughs> an absolute farce on those cars? <laughs> No, it's not that. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Go on. I'm coming up with a few here, aren't you? You are. Uh, I didn't know you had so many reservations about this car. Well, I mean, as I said, I'm just talking nitpicking. I absolutely yeah. adore those cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, I'm on I the do as well. Having said so. I would have, I've been looking, you know, I was looking at prices of them the other day. In fact, I think oh, I was looking at prices of them yesterday. I've done the same about thing. About 65 grand. <laughs> yeah, I've done yeah, the same thing. Yes. Actually, 570 GTs, which are actually, I prefer. Yeah. 570 GT, about 65 grand. Oh, that's a... Mm. That to be, that's really tempting. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh god, hang on, what is this? Uh, it's not visibility because you can see out of them beautifully. There's no chance um, you're going to get it. Okay, okay. The the the, the, the sports seat, the sports seats in those cars were terrible. You're sort Standard of getting a bit great. Getting a little. Oh bit no, 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 the, the, the electric seat buttons. No, no, <laughs> no, because they were ridiculous. Okay, right. Okay, I, I'm um, going to have to tell you. As I say, this is the most pathetic complaint I'll ever make about a car. It's the upswept design of the door card and therefore the angle of the armrest. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've never <laughs> a car. I could, only because I've never even thought of it once in my life. <sighs> I, I'm, I think I must be a man who likes an armrest. I use an armrest. But, I mean, right, so an armrest should be level. It should be as horizontal as possible because that's what you want to rest your arm on. This one, yeah. because there's such an upswept up design to clear the carbon tub, actually, the armrest is at a horrible angle. So your arm doesn't sit on it. My arm didn't sit on it. I'd put my elbow down and my arm would just sort of gradually slide forward. I couldn't use it as an armrest. It basically meant to me that there wasn't an armrest for on that side of the car. Middle of the car was fine. But on that side, nothing. And the trouble is... It just, particularly over longer journeys, it made me feel really uncomfortable in the car. Sort Bizarre. of not sitting square. I would say I was as sensitive to that sort of thing as anyone. Really? I can remember I drove one of those to Spa, but I went to, I, I drove one to Spa, had, you know, a very um, tiring time racing stuff while I was there, and then literally. And about you know, I must have been there for like two or three days, and then I did the last race, and you know, and got straight out of the race car, back into it, and drove mm. it back to Wales. I absolutely loved it. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but certain things just set people off, don't they? Mm. Yeah, but um, that, that's it. Everyone, we're all such unique sizes and shapes, and we all yeah. just sit in cars ever so slightly differently, and it but can take the most minor thing. Different things mean different. So I get utterly infuriated if I get in a car and if the navigation is not set to north up, I, I only ever mm. have navigation in north up. If it's not, if, you, if I can't just press an icon mm. on the screen and get to north up mm. and I've got to go looking for it, that bugs the hell out. If I can't turn the bloody voice off, oh. if you can't turn lane keep assist yeah. off without a single press of a button mm. and you can do it some manufacturers will go oh no you can't you know we're not allowed to do it a single you can mm. because if you have a single long press you are allowed to do that if you can't what was i driving the other day an electric lexus mm. where you basically need to needed to be a particle physicist to work out how to turn everything off um all those sorts of things mm. just mm. anything which just gets in the way and willfully gets in the way it's almost like they've tried and thought, sat down and thought, well, how difficult mm. can we make this? Mm. It's... And it also makes you think that they've gone and designed these systems and they've never tested them. <sighs> they've never gone out to um, you know, people in the big wide world and said, go right, go and live with this for two days. Mm. 
and then come back and tell us what you think. Mm. Because if they had, they'd have pointed this stuff out. <laughs> Is this a rant? Well, maybe they did, did all that and they thought, well, we don't care anyway. And if that's the case, why give it to them in the first place if you're not going to listen to what they say? <laughs> I think that is a rant. But I, I totally agree. And actually, it's a stretch to call these things fatal flaws, but they are important. So the M2 that I'm running at the moment, um, actually, like, I guess all or most brand, brand new cars has an audible speed warning. So if you creep no. over the speed limit, you get this bong, And it defaults bong, to on, bong, doesn't it? Defaults to on. You know, I think that is now, that is my new least favourite phrase. Mm. It always used to be portion control. Now it's default to on. (laughs) Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, Thankfully on the M2, it's hold down the set button on the steering wheel for a couple of seconds and it goes away. So it's easily got rid of. Um, But But if you stop for a P or to fill it up with petrol, you go back to it. Yeah. It's back on again. And the trouble is now, like I, I know which button it is. I almost do it without thinking. But every time I get in a new car now and it does it, I'm thinking, right, which button do I need to press? Because it's always different. Um, I was in some Land Rovers the other day and they were doing it. And you have to sort of cycle, press this button, cycle through a couple of different options. Ugh, it is okay, so, here's, so here's a question. Why, if you ask manufacturers why it's like this, they will say because the law requires it to be like this. Mm. And why does the law require it to default to on? Because it might not be you who gets in the car the next time. It might be somebody else and they need protection. You might choose to not protect yourself, but the car tank can't take that decision on behalf of everybody else. So why not just have, you know, all our telephones recognize our faces. Even older mm-hmm. telephones will recognize a thumbprint. Why can't mm. you just put your thumb somewhere or just go, hello, it's me. And the car goes, oh, look, it's Dan. All right, well, we know what yeah. his settings are, so we'll do that. I they mean, should. because all Dan is going to do is put them back there manually anyway. Mm. So why not mm. just spare him the bloody bother? Mm. God, I'm really going off on this morning, aren't I? <laughs> I must have had a really bad this weekend and not realised it. We've got you riled, haven't we? This is fantastic. <sighs> well, I, you must have some more. Do you want to give us another one? Yeah, um, it's a slightly weird one. Um, the Maybach, so not the Maybachs they make today, but the you know the car that came yeah. out twenty years ago to rival you know the Rolls Royce Phantom. Yeah, its its fatal flaw was to call itself a Maybach, mm. i.e., not a Mercedes. If Mercedes had just come out and said, "We have done this super luxury long wheelbase S class," the world would have loved it because it was so good, it was so quiet, and it was so comfortable. But because they thought, oh, bloody hell, you know, Rolls-Royce is coming mm. back, we better stick another badge on it, even though it was just a long wheelbase. Um, and, and, and they, you know, they made... It was so token, the design efforts they made to make it look different. They just stuck a little bit on the front, mm. um, but the rest was pretty much the same. And it just had no credibility at all, despite the fact that... I mean, I can remember being one of them going down a motorway and realizing that the single largest source of noise in the cabin was the noise of the tires made by other cars that I was passing on the motorway. <laughs> wow. And just thinking that is incredible. You've gone to all that effort. <sighs> Blimey. And the ride was just ridiculously good. Yeah. Much better than a Phantom when it came out. Wow. And yet, because they'd gone, we're a Maybach and we're going to charge you know a bazillion quid for it, it just... It just didn't work. Do you think the name Maybach had any currency then? None at all. Nobody knew what a Maybach was. Who, who could have heard? Who, I mean, I barely remembered Wilhelm Maybach. <laughs> you know, he last made a car before the Second World War. What's the point? Yeah. That was weird. It, it almost speaks of a lack of confidence, that, doesn't it? Go on. Yeah, let's have another. Uh, Jaguar X350. <clears> so <throat> this was the XJ that came out about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you talking styling, design? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, a combination of the two. So this was the car that came out, and it looked like it was the car kind of car that you know an old boy would drive down to the golf club mm. on the weekend while wearing a hat. Mm. And it was such a staid, boring-looking car despite the fact that in engineering terms, it was a complete revolution. Mm. This was the first car of its kind, maybe the first kind 
ever to have an entirely aluminium monocoque. Mm. It was hundreds of kilos lighter than the car it replaced, despite being a much bigger car. And to me, it's, I mean, they were amazing, those things. Mm. And to go and design a car which is so revolutionary, and I use the word advisedly, and yet make it look the absolute opposite of what it absolutely was, of, of what it mm. was. Mm. Um, and, of course, you know, we know what happened. You know, finally, Ian Callum... I mean, Ian did turn up just before it came out, but he didn't have nearly enough time to... Re- to he, he literally had time to make a few tiny little changes because the design was sealed by his um, predecessor. Uh, and then, you know, the car was completely reskinned by Ian into... I can't remember what his X number was, but it was... It, we all know the car. It's the, mm. it, it was the last XJ. Mm. Now that JLR and in its infinite wisdom decided to can the next one. Mm. Um, and it looked amazing. And finally, they had a car with the looks to, you know, complement the engineering brilliance behind it. But, yeah, just bizarre. It was a shame, a real shame. Do you know, even when I see one, I have to have a decent look at it to figure out if it is the X, it's 350, isn't it? Or or if it's the previous one. It's almost yes. a facsimile of the older car. Yeah, well, but it's not quite as nice. Because it's <laughs> yeah. a lot being... The, because, you know, the, the previous car, which I thought was a great-looking car, so this was the X308, I think, the, the, the first of the V8 XJs, mm. which came out in the late 1990s. One of the problems with it, and one of the reasons it looked so good, frankly, was it had that very low roof line, mm. but it also meant that headroom in the back was really limited, so they made the car larger, particularly taller, um, but kept the original design language, and it just didn't work. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, yeah, we are running out of time. Is, have you still got still got a massive list that we need to rattle through? Well, I've got some old stuff. Go on. But actually, because of the way the podcast has progressed, so I got cars like the Alpha Sud because it rusted, the Ford Pinto because mm. it blew up mm. if you ran into the back of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Talk about fatal flaws. A word for the Arna. You, you won't remember the Arna. You weren't even alive when the Arna. You, you, does the word Arna mean anything Arna. to you? Arna. No. Arna. Okay. So this is brilliant. What's this is that? absolutely completely brilliant, okay? So <laughs> Alfa Romeo realised that it had a bit of a problem um, with, you know, sort of build quality and that sort of thing. And Nissan at the same time thought we could do with a bit of glamour. So they did a JV and the result was called, when it was badged in Alfa Romeo, it was called the Arna, mm. um, which I guess was Alfa Romeo and Nissan. Um and when it was a Nissan, it was badged the Nissan Cherry Europe. Yeah. So what you'd do if you were being really clever is you would get Alfa Romeo to engineer it and put the suspension on oh. it and do all the all the fun bits. Yes. And then you get Nissan to build it. But they did exactly the opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was completely and utterly ludicrous. Um, shout out for the Triumph Stag. What was Triumph the Stag's a beautiful car. Yeah, cool-looking thing. Cool-looking thing. And it was powered by a brand-new 3-litre V8 engine. Mm. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Well, that brand-new 3-litre V8 engine. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they were so unreliable. Mm. They were. It just completely killed the car. Uh, and, in fact, you know, I think an enormous number of Stags that survive today just have Rover V8s in them because mm. that three-litre engine was just... I think some of the problems... I think basically, I think the cooling of it was poorly designed and then the whole thing was poorly put together. Um, so you can put them back together. I think there have been fixes and maybe they're fine now, but at the time they were terrible. Um, mm. Lancia Beats of Monte Carlo, another one of my favourite cars, didn't stop. Really? You know, in the wet. Um, they just... They had they, they had big servo systems on the and they just locked up the front tires. It was a mid-engine, you know, mid-engine cars. Mm. Have, you know, have always had a little bit of trouble with you know because they've got very light front ends. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you drive a nineteen seventies nine eleven SC um, on the tire technology that was available at the time, you've got to be really careful with them in the wet. Mm. Um, and, and and but the Beta Monte Carlo was absolutely awful. Um, and they did sort of fix it. They took the servo off it and they changed this and that and it was an awful lot better. But again, the car had been doomed by it. Mm. Um, well, you know, Hillman Inn, amazing little car, little rear engine, alloy blocked, um, should have been very, very well reviewed when it first came out. Should have been an absolute world beater, but it was put together so badly. Mm. Again, it became 
permanently flawed. So yeah, I've got all sorts of stuff like that. It's not really where we ended up going with this with this podcast. And I, looking at our timer, I think we're out anyway. We are, but nothing if not variety in that one. Supercars, modern yeah, cars, yeah. old stuff, little things, all with fatal flaws. Um, yeah. Good. We that um, topic suggestion came from a Twitter poll, I think, didn't it? Um, Indeed. That was we put out a call asking for ideas for the podcast, and that was one of them. So. Thank you, everyone who suggested that idea. That was good fun. Um, yeah, we've got a listener question coming up in a moment, but before we do that, as it's Christmas time, I'm just going to remind you that you can buy for the petrol head in your life this Christmas a gift subscription to the Intercooler. You can choose from six, twelve, and twenty-four month gift subs. They start at thirty-five ninety-nine. You can download a digital gift voucher immediately, which means if it's Christmas Eve and you still haven't bought the gift for this one person, the petrol head in your life, come along to the intercooler and we'll, we'll, yep. we'll make a digital gift voucher available to you immediately, which you can print at home or... Even, or even if it's Christmas Day and you're going to go yeah. to your uncle on Boxing Day yeah. and you've realised you haven't got him anything. Yeah. We're here to help. We're here to help. Go to the-intercooler.com, find the gifts page. Um, it's really easy to do. And I'll also put a link in the description. Um, so the, the listener question comes from Ross G. Simple one. What's the worst car you've ever owned? Oh, owned. I, I, I've tried really hard not to own bad cars. <laughs> well, you've done better than me, then. Um, what's the worst car I've... It's terrible. I don't think I've owned any... Okay, yeah, well, okay. So, yeah, my Lotus Esprit. Ah, yeah, you have spoken about this before. Just my, sounds like a massive Esprit letdown. Esprit. My 1981 black S3 with gold BBS wheels. Mm. I adored that, but I not even I can forget it never completed a single journey of oh. any meaningful length without going wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. And it wasn't like, you know, so it was 1981 car. I think I had it in about 86. It was about a 60-year-old car. It mm. had done 25,000 miles. There were absolutely <laughs> no excuses. And it was, it was appalling. Mm. Um, you know, things would go... Um, you know, clutch save cylinders would go, you know, the headlight pop-up thing. So it used to wink at people, <laughs> completely random. You'd just be driving down the road and there'd be a couple of people standing by a bus stop and it would just wink at them. Mm. It, just, it would just raise one and put it back down again. Um, it was, yeah, um, keeping that it's got, it, it had these twin, twin choke Delorto carburettors. Keeping those in tune was an absolute bloody nightmare. Mm. Um yeah, it was just a, it was just a terrible car, but goodness me, I loved it. <laughs> Good answer. Um, well, Ross, thank you for your question, and do keep your questions coming um, because they're fun. We like ending the podcast that way. You can send us a message on Twitter, on Instagram, or you can email us info at the intercooler.com. But keep doing it, and we'll uh, read out another one next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.